0: All right, well, we have finished uh, our study in the book of 2 Peter, and today we're going to begin a three-week series called Disciple, Be One, Make One. We're going to look at this whole idea of what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus, what does it mean to disciple others. Our, Our goal for next year that the elders have approved is this, Disciple, Be One, Make One that we are all going, to call, we're all going to be called to grow as disciples of Jesus, and we're all going to be challenged to make a disciple. Every person in this church is going to be challenged this year, and we'll be unpacking this a lot in the next three weeks, to take at least one person under your wing and help them grow because we are, to be called, we are called to make disciples for the glory of God. This is actually one of my favorite topics. This, this issue of discipleship has been very formative in my own spiritual journey. I received Christ when I was 17, a student at Clarkston High School. And immediately a man by the name of Rod Miner took me and four other students under his wing. He met with us weekly. He, he taught us how to have a quiet time, how to grow in Christ. Uh, and and he, just, he just poured into us. Uh, he discipled us. And then I came uh, to the University of Georgia in 1979, and I got involved with Crew, And I immediately got in a discipleship group. First, it was a group led by a, an older student. And we met regularly and went through all kinds of material on growing in Christ. Then my junior year, I was discipled by one of the staff members, and, uh, and he poured into me. And by my senior year, I was already beginning to pour into others, and I took some freshmen and began to meet with them and just basically transferred to them what had been, what had been given to me. Then I went on staff with a church in Minneapolis, Grace Church of Edina, and a man by the name of Dave Busby, he died of cystic fibrosis, one of the most powerful youth communicators I've ever seen. Dave Busby and I would meet at Perkins Restaurant every Sunday morning as I was his college pastor, but he poured into me every week, Perkins Restaurant before church. We would meet for an hour, hour and a half, and, and he, just, he just poured into me and helped me grow. And so this idea of, of discipleship and discipleship groups has been a key part of my life ever since I got saved. And it's basically just following the example of Jesus. Next to the cross and the resurrection and the blood atonement of Jesus, what was the number one priority of Jesus' life in his three years of ministry? You can, be, you can answer that. Huh? Making disciples. His 12 disciples. That was his number one priority. Next to the cross, now his main reason for coming was to die and shed his blood and be the atonement for our sins. Next to that, it was the pour-in to 12 men, one of which didn't do well. Take heart. First discipleship group I ever led, three guys. Two of them completely abandoned the Christian faith. The other one went on staff with crew. I figure, well, two of my three failed. One of Jesus' 12 failed. I guess I'm okay. We'll do better next time. So I want to talk to you today about four things that I think really summarize what it meant for Jesus to pour into the twelve and what it means for us to be a disciple. And we're going to just look at the gospel of Mark. We'll we'll look at a few passages there. I could choose any gospel to do this, but I've chosen to do this in Mark. And the first is this, he called them to turn and follow. Turn means to repent. Repent means to turn from a self-centered life, To turn from sin, to turn from selfishness, to turn from sin and selfishness and Satan and follow Jesus. When Jesus called his disciples, he called them to repent and follow. Look at Mark chapter 1 beginning at verse 14. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. What is the gospel of God, beloved? The gospel of God is that Jesus Christ came and because we are sinful and separated from God and cannot... Erase that sin on our own by good works or religion. We need something done to us by another to remove that sin barrier. Jesus Christ came. The gospel is that Jesus Christ came and died for your sins and mine. He bore our sins upon his body on the tree. He absorbed the wrath and judgment of God for our sins so that we could be forgiven and reconciled to God. That's the good news of the gospel. Amen? It means that it is therefore a free gift. All that has been necessary for you and I to be reconciled to God has been done by Jesus. We are saved by the work of another, not by our own works. And and, and that means that the payment has been made, but it must be received. How do you receive Christ? How do you receive salvation? You repent and you believe, and that's found next. It says that in verse 15, he said, The time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. There it is. I submit to you the missing ingredient of the gospel of our day and why you have many false conversions is we only talk about believing and not repenting. People believe that if they just pray a sinner's prayer, then they're okay and they can continue to live as they've been living. That is a false gospel. It must be repent and believe. That is not works. But it means you are turning from your old life and you're turning to Jesus. That's what he called the disciples to do. They were to leave their old life, they were to repent, turn, and follow. Now, just to show you this in another place, in Acts chapter 20, verse 21, I call this 2021 vision. There's 2020 vision and there's 2021 vision. Acts 20, verse 21, look at what they proclaimed. Testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of what? repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. The problem with modern day Christianity is that we've reduced the gospel to merely faith and believing. Pray the sinner's prayer, you're okay, continue to live however you want. You know, I'll pray the sinner's prayer, I'm saved, I'm a Christian, but their life shows no evidence of being different. They're not following Jesus because they've never repented of sin and selfishness and pride. So it's repent and believe. Turn from your sin. So when you turn, you turn to do what? You turn to follow Jesus. All the Gospels mention this. So here's an example of a verse from every one of the Gospels where he's calling one of his disciples and he says, turn and follow, follow, follow. It was a complete lifestyle change. This is why the second track I ever wrote, the first track I wrote was called Time Alone with God just because of, how much Rod Miner and some of my, the guys that discipled me early in my Christian journey emphasized how important it was to spend time with the Lord. And I believe it's the most, one of the most important things you could do to help a person grow is just helping them be consistent in the word and prayer. second track I ever wrote is called Are You a Follower of Jesus. They're available in the back there. Because I wanted to define Christianity not so much as praying to receive Christ. And, and this word Christian, Brooks gave me some good stats. Christian is used three times disciple is used how many oh over 250 times that right there says a lot doesn't it and so i'd rather us use the phrase are you a follower of jesus now to follow means you begin at a point in time so i'm not i'm not denying justification salvation i'm not just focusing on sanctification but to, to, to have sanctification salvation you start at justification salvation you repent and you begin to follow jesus And so I define Christianity not so much as, are you a Christian, but are you a follower of Jesus? You see, this puts it in the present tense. We talk too much about something in the past. Now, it's fine, again, to refer to a time in the past when you received Christ. That's when you begin your journey. But if it stopped there and it didn't really result in you following, then I'm not sure that it really is true conversion. I love in in these verses, look at Luke 9, 23, to, to, to take up your cross. How often? Daily. I love that. It's a daily relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be a disciple. You're in a daily following relationship with Christ. So that leads to number two. You abide and you grow. He called his disciples to abide, to be with him, and to grow, to grow in knowledge. To grow in their understanding of sin, to grow in their understanding of the Savior, to grow in their understanding of the Messiah, to grow in their understanding of the gospel and heaven and stewardship and all things, and to grow in their character. And Where does character get most chiseled? In community. This is why he called them to be in community. He called 12, not just one. And so this idea that I'll just grow in Christ in a deer stand... I just, just me and Jesus, I love Jesus, but I don't really like Christians, and I certainly don't like the church because it's full of hypocrites and this, that, and the other. So I'm just going to do this Jesus thing with me and Jesus, but not in community. That's unbiblical because it's actually in community where there's friction. Community is designed to be imperfect. Imperfect. It's designed to be a place where you're going to get in relational conflict. Somebody's going to rub you the wrong way because as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. When iron sharpens iron, there's sparks that fly. (laughs) It's not always comfortable. And so that very person that irritates you, that very situation that makes you want to cut and run and leave the church is the very situation God wants to use in your life to sanctify you. Listen, I don't like this any more than you do. But it's still true. (laughs) It's still true. As a pastor, there's been many times when I'm like, I think I'm done with this thing called the church. I'm just going to cut and run. I'll just be a mailman or something. I don't know. But, but it, it, God will not allow us to do that. Now, in the, in the Jewish culture, this is really good. In the Jewish culture, there was three schools or levels of discipleship and learning. The first was called Bet Sefer. It was the house of the book. This occurred about, from the, about the age of four until the age of twelve. You learned reading and writing and math, basic education, kind of like our elementary school as we think of it today. A little different than our elementary schools today. You memorized most of the Torah by the age of 12. Yeah, that's the first five books of the Old Testament. You heard it read and you memorized it. Now, most in the Jewish culture would stop at this level because you would then assume a trade, like the trade of your father or uncle or so forth. And so many didn't make it past this first level. But for those who did, there was a second level. And it's called Bat Midrash, House of the Learning. And this was, was where you memorized most of the Old Testament in the Jewish educational system. You would also be learning a trade in some cases. But this is the second level of discipleship. The third and the highest level was called Talmudim the disciple of a rabbi one had to earn this you were interviewed and tested by the rabbi only the most qualified were selected not with jesus for he chose the least qualified the least educated those who didn't know a whole lot do you remember how peter and john were described in acts chapter 4 verse 13 they were uneducated and unlearned, but they recognized them as having been with Jesus. He chose those that you would least select. He didn't choose a Pharisee. <laughs> he didn't choose people who had a lot of education. And so now I'd like you to look at Mark chapter 3, verse 13, and I hope to show you something maybe you've never seen in the Word of God. It says in Mark three thirteen, "...and he went up on the mountain..." And he called to him those whom he, what? Desired. Isn't that a great word? Those whom he desired. Not those who were most qualified. Not those who passed all the tests. Not those who were the most educated and gifted. Not those who he thought would be the most influential in culture. But those whom he desired. Beloved, he desires you. What did we learn in 2 Peter last week? Or two weeks ago? It says, God is patient. Not wanting any to perish but all to come to repentance. That's what God desires. And God's patience and love is to reach out and to offer to all to be His disciple. Whether you've got a great mental capability or you're a leader or you're influential in your company, that doesn't matter. He looks at your heart. And He chose those whom He desired and they came to Him and He appointed twelve whom He also named apostles so that they might, what? Be with him. That's abide and grow, that they might be with him. You see, a disciple of a rabbi in the Jewish culture would leave everything, would leave family, would leave their job. The rabbi called them and said, come and follow me. And he called them, and they literally lived with him for three years. It was a deep, abiding relationship. Kenneth Wiest, in his Greek word studies, says the word disciple means to put oneself under the teaching of someone else, and learn from him. And that's exactly what Jesus did with his 12. We're called to be in that same relationship. Those 12 heard his teachings. They saw his miracles. They asked questions. They made mistakes. They asked more questions. They made more mistakes. They put their foot in their mouth. They got into relational conflict, and they grew, and they got chiseled, and they asked more questions, and they made more mistakes. Welcome to discipleship. Well, I love The Chosen. I've talked about it a lot, but I love The Chosen because it just depicts Jesus so well, I believe. But it also is, is a great portrayal of this relationship among the twelve. <laughs> I mean, they're always getting into stupid arguments. They're fighting. They're bickering. They don't like Matthew. <laughs> Matthew's this nerdy little guy who's this tax collector, and he's probably autistic in the, in the show. And, he, and, and, man, Peter definitely. You see Peter's reaction when Jesus called Matthew? It's, it's, it's awesome because Peter's like, Jesus, what the mm, are you doing? You're going to pick him? Are you kidding me? This guy is not what we need to accomplish the mission. And so you just get this feel. I mean, this. Uh, I mean, Peter and Matthew, like, they're keeping their distance for most of the show, for most of the episodes. A good disciple would follow their rabbi so closely that they would literally be covered in their dust. An ancient Hebrew blessing was this, may you be covered in the dust. Of your rabbi. And that just shows how much they were to be linked together. And growing together. And in relationship. Now listen closely to this. I ran across this old memorandum this week. Written by somebody. And it's really good. It's called. Advice to Jesus. About who he should choose. To accomplish his mission. It says to Jesus son of Joseph. This is from the Jordan Management Consultants. Dear sir, thank you for submitting the resumes of the 12 that you have picked for managerial positions in your new organization. All of them have now taken our battery of tests. We have not only run the results through our computer, but also arranged personal interviews for each of them with our psychologist and vocational aptitude consultant. It is with our opinion that most of your nominees are lacking in background, education, and vocational aptitude for the type of enterprise you are undertaking. They do not have the team concept. Simon Peter is emotionally unstable and given to fits of temper. Andrew has absolutely no qualities of leadership. The two brothers, James and John, place personal interest above company loyalty. Thomas demonstrates a skeptical attitude that would tend to undermine morale. Matthew has been blacklisted by the Jerusalem Better Business Bureau. James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, definitely have radical leanings, and they both registered a high score on the manic-depressive scale. One of the candidates, however, shows great potential. He is a man of ability and resourcefulness, meets people well, has a keen business mind, and has contacts in high places. He's highly motivated, ambitious, and responsible. We recommend Judas Iscariot as your controller and right-hand man. We wish you every success in your new venture. Once again, it shows how what Jesus chose was so counterintuitive. But what a great example to us, is it not? He calls you. He calls me. Despite our qualifications humanly, worldly, He looks at your heart. For I have chosen David, a man after my own heart. Remember David's father when they were choosing, do you have any other sons? I mean none of these, yeah there's one more out in the field, but you don't want him. Now, it's noteworthy that the smaller the group, the more concentrated the time Jesus spent with them. Brooks showed this diagram to our discipleship group last week, and I found it very helpful. Basically, the, the, the normal triangle pointing up represents the time that Jesus spent with people. The triangle pointing down was the number of people. So you'll notice that the fewer the number, the more time he spent with them. There was a 12, and then even lower than that was Peter, James, and John that he often took in those intimate places, the Mount of Transfiguration, times when he healed Jairus' daughter, and he only wanted a few with him, and it was Peter, James, and John. They get repeated often. But the 12 got a lot more time than the 70, and certainly more than 5,000 or than the masses. You see, one of the biggest problems with Christianity in America today is we focus too much on quantity at the expense of quality. How big's your church? How many are coming? How many are liking your posts? How big is your podcast? How broad is your influence? Listen, if we would focus on quality, I believe quantity would take care of itself. Jesus spent the best time, the most important, concentrated time with the fewest people. And I believe he calls you and me to do the same. We are challenging every person at Living Hope for the year 2022 to take at least one person, preferably three, under your wing, meeting with them to help them grow. You say, well, I'm not, I don't know enough. I'm not mature enough. Yes, you are. If you've been a Christian longer than six months, you're qualified because you have the Holy Spirit in you. Now, this verse 14 of chapter 3, I think, is really profound. It says, he, again, he appointed 12 that they might be with him. That's the abiding And, here we go, now there's a shift occurring. This is about one year into his time with these 12. But for us, it doesn't have to wait a year because we have the Holy Spirit in us. That he might send them out to preach. So the third component of Jesus' training of the 12 was go and serve. In other words, you're not just to take in, you're to give out. If you take in, take in, take in, you'll become a fat Christian out of shape. Many of you ate a big meal this week. And if you do not exercise, you will notice in about a week that you have gained a few pounds. We need to exercise to stay in spiritual shape. We do need to be fed. We need the Word of God. We need a regular diet to have our minds transformed by the Word of God. But if we do not exercise, if we do not serve, if we do not give out, then we will be deficient in our growth. And so this is exactly the plan of the Master Jesus When he sent them out. So now turn to Mark chapter 6, verse 7. Mark chapter 6, verse 7, it says, He called the twelve, and he began to do what? Send them out two by two. Again, community, not going at it alone. And he gave them authority over the unclean spirits. Listen, if you're in Christ today, you're seated with him in the heavenly places, you have authority over all the powers of darkness. God has put in you the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. Greater is, you, greater is he that lives in you than he that lives in the world. You have authority over demonic spirits. Therefore, James 4:7 says you can submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. You have the same authority that he gave the apostles. The power of the Holy Spirit can bring about signs and wonders in your life, and that's what it says in verse 8. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts. In other words, radical trust, radical faith, total allegiance and dependence on him. Verse 9, But they were to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. If Any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you. When you leave, then just shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. Don't take it personal. Listen, to be a disciple of Jesus means you have to a certain level have thick skin. Don't take it personal when people don't want to hear about Jesus. When they reject your testimony, or you try to invite them to church and they resist you, they make fun of you. They say you're a you're a whatever. Just shake the dust. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting Jesus. And you have to remember that because ministry is not easy. Not everything's going to turn out successful like the world defines success. Then in verse twelve, so they went out and proclaimed, and people that people should what pray the sinner's prayer? No, repent. <laughs> Again, I'm not against the sinner's prayer as long as it's a prayer of of, of repenting and following Jesus. Verse 13, and they cast out many demons. Beloved, if you're in Christ today, you can do this. You are qualified to command demonic spirits to leave. You can pray for the sick. Will they all be healed? No. But more will be healed if you pray for them than if you never pray for them. I'll tell you that right now. (laughs) So next time you're with somebody and they're not feeling well, they're sick, they have a disease, pray. Ask God to pour out His Spirit. Man, uh, Jerry Kaiser gave me the journals of John Wesley recently. Now, John Wesley was about as rigid and methodical as they come. That's why they call him the Methodist. Hello. Because they had methods. It was all about methods and discipline and order, right? That was what defined John Wesley. Well, then he preached and the God's Holy Spirit came and they saw people healed, slain in the spirit, demons were cast out, there was holy laughter, there's all this stuff that people say, ah, that's weird charismatic. Well, there is weird charismatic sometimes when the flesh gets involved, but there's also the real deal. There's the real McCoy. And he writes about it in these journals. It's astounding. Most conservative evangelicals would read this and say, he's some wacky charismatic, we're going to disregard and take off the shelf all of his other books but he's just writing what he experienced. God shows up. Crazy things happen. Demons get cast out. People are filled with the joy of the Lord, speaking in tongues, getting healed. But that doesn't happen anymore. Well, it won't in your life if that's your attitude. (laughs) But it does still happen. And we need to see more of it. Hello, church. We need to see God's power more and more. And so if you want to read from somebody who's about as conservative as they come, about as solid doctrinally as they come, John Wesley, man, he meets every criteria, right? Jerry, you check off all the boxes. And whoever published this did an amazing job of, of putting this into one volume. But it's just his experiences when, when the Holy Spirit came. And that we see it right here. They casted out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. So they went out and they served and they did it with joy they saw God move. Ministry becomes exciting when God actually does stuff. When you pray and believe and trust, and you actually see lives changed and people getting set free. I mean, one of the most exciting ministries around here is Fresh Wind and CR because there's, we're seeing the captives set free. And, uh, and so I encourage us all, as we go into this year, and we are challenging every person to be a disciple-maker... To, 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 to just ask God to show up in mighty ways. All right, number four. Finally, as Jesus neared the time of his departure, after he ascended, what did he call them to do? He called them to obey and multiply. As the, as the time of Jesus' departure got closer, he, he upped the commitment. He talked about some more serious things like persecution and the end times and what they could expect. He he talked a lot about the Holy Spirit because he wanted them to understand that when he leaves, they're not going to be abandoned, they're not going to be orphans, they're going to have his presence through the power and the presence of the Holy Ghost. So he talked a lot about the Holy Spirit as his time came near. Then he also told them what he expected them to do after he left. And basically it's this, what you guys have seen me do with you for the last three years. I'm calling you to do this with others. So we either can make disciples or be disobedient Christians. It's not a suggestion. It's a command, and it's Jesus' strategy to reach the world. His strategy to reach the world was not just preaching to the masses. Now, that's the modern-day church's strategy, and to a certain extent, there's nothing wrong with it. But if, it, if the masses' quantity is at the exclusion of quality, then I think we are not doing it the way Jesus called us to do it. He said to put the emphasis on quality, and quantity will take care of itself. So the Great Commission, it's called, is in Matthew 28, and he says, Go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. Now, the way this is written in the original is there's one controlling verb, make disciples. That's the dominant focus of this Great Commission. There's one verb, make disciples. There are three participles that modify that verb. Participles are ing words that modify a verb. ING words that modify a verb. So if this was written as the way it's written in the original Greek, it would say going, baptizing, teaching. Those are the three participles. So the way you make disciples is by going. You gotta go. (laughs) Hello? You don't make disciples by sitting on your duff. You actually have to go where people are, and you have to meet people, and you have to be reacting to with people. You have to go and ask somebody to meet with you. And here's the way you can do it in the most simple, down-to-earth way. Hey. I wondered if you'd be willing to meet with me on a regular basis this year so we can grow together in Christ. If asking somebody, can I disciple you, can I mentor you, if that's a little too intimidating, you don't like that language, that's fine. How about just saying this? I'm I'm getting a group together this year. I'm asking one, two, three people that we would meet together on a regular basis to grow together in Christ. Isn't that great? It's just a level playing field, but they're going to regard you as a leader because you're initiating. You're going to choose the material. You're going to choose what you bring, and we're going to help you do that this year. Basically, just use the transformational discipleship stuff that we've written. It's available on our website. It's so easy. It's transferable. It's digestible. And guess who's going to grow the most when you do this 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 year? You are. (laughs) You're going to grow the most because there's something about helping others grow, discipling others that make you go, oh, I better be spending time with God. I'm serving bread. I want it to be fresh, not stale. I want some fresh bread out of the oven of God's spirit because I've been spending time with God this week, so I need to spend time with God. Hello. Oh, there's sin in my life. If they knew this was in my life, they wouldn't see me as a very good example. I think I need to repent of that. Hello. Oh, I'm going to help them overcome some big issue in their past. I might need to make sure I've dealt with stuff in my past. Hello. Oh, we've got a lesson on forgiveness. Oh, my goodness. There's five people I've never forgiven. I'm so bitter at them. I hate them. I wish they'd die. Maybe I need to deal with that. I think I'll go see one of the pastors or get some counseling. Get a couple prayer sessions from Rachel. Make sure I've dealt with that forgiveness issue. Who's going to grow the most? You are. This is a great prescription for your personal growth. Start discipling somebody. And so the three participles are going. Once they receive Christ, repent of their sins, baptize them. Hello. And then the rest can go infinitum, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded. That's that ongoing sanctification. Help them go from a child to a young man to a father, 1 John 2. Help them go from milk to meat. Next week we're going to look at 2 Timothy 2. 2. We're going to dissect it. We're going to tear it apart. The things you've heard from me, Paul, Tim, Paul tells Timothy, the things you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, community, entrust to faithful men who can teach others also. This is called spiritual multiplication. This is a diagram of spiritual multiplication. At that point you get saved, you grow, then you take three people. You begin to meet with them on a regular basis and you're going to grow together. And then by the end of that time, they're going to take three people. This is called spiritual multiplication. Three makes nine, makes 81, makes 243. This was Jesus' strategy to reach the world. So About eight years ago, I made a decision I wish I'd have done a lot sooner in my life. I've been, mean, I've had discipleship groups, but eight years ago, I made a commitment to God that every year for the rest of my life, Lord willing, I would handpick about six to eight guys and just meet with them for a year in a discipleship relationship. By God's grace, I've done that the last eight years. Well, the last assignment in our group, and now we're in it because we're in December, Brooks can attest. What are we reading right now, Brooks? Bingo. Master Plan of Evangelism by Robert Coleman. And here's a great quote from that book. I had him as a professor at Trinity. We must decide where we want our ministry to count. In the momentary applause of popular recognition or in the reproduction of our lives. See, there it is. In a few chosen people who carry on our work after we have gone. So again, let's review what we've learned today, that how did Jesus disciple the 12? He called them to turn and follow. He called them to abide and grow, to have the dust of the rabbi on your sandals, to go and serve, not just receive, but give. How are you serving? And then to obey and multiply. And our goal for 2022 20, is that every person at Living Hope would be a disciple and make a disciple for the glory of Jesus. Let's take a few questions. You can text those in or raise your hand. We'll bring a mic to you. Michael, uh, when did Jesus, when he baptized him, did he baptize him in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, or did he baptize him in his name? He didn't baptize. He so, commanded us to baptize. So when we make disciples, we... There did. was the baptism of repentance that okay. he did, but the baptism in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit was not to take place till after he had died, rose from the dead, paid for our sins. Yes. Hey, Pastor. (laughs) Um, So I have some coworkers or people in and around my life that are not believers or have, you know, lost their way. And, um, you know, some of it is because of uh, bad experiences in the past. And I try my best to kind of live my life as a testimony. Um, But what would you suggest to maybe kind of push the envelope like I, I don't want to be pushy yeah right but at the same time um, to try to help cultivate that relationship a little bit more yep I'm glad you asked that because a common question is what about a discipleship can you disciple unbelievers absolutely that's the best time to form a group is with some people that aren't saved and so you adapt your approach based on the audience So in the case that you just mentioned, I would suggest doing something like just say, I'm I'm, I'm forming a group, and we're going to do the 21-day challenge. We're going to read one chapter a day out of the Gospel of John. There's 21 chapters in John. And we're going to pray this prayer. God, reveal yourself to me as I read your word. And so then when you meet, week one, you're going to discuss maybe the first six chapters of John. You would select a portion of that. Great place to focus there on that first week would be what? John 3, born again. <laughs> so then you give the gospel. Draw the bridge diagram. How to be born again. Give them an opportunity to voice their frustrations, their questions. You know, keep it very loose, open-ended, so they can share things. You're not going to be judgmental. You're going to accept whatever, and just you want them to be honest and transparent. So there would be an example where, in that case, if you've got unbelievers in the group, I would, I mean, you could do the TD1. We call it TD1, Transformational Discipleship Module 1, because the first week is how to be sure you're a Christian. But you could also do something like the 21-day challenge, where you're just getting them in the Gospel of John, let the Word of God speak to them, and you guide the discussion as the Spirit leads. But yeah, the gra- it's great to have unbelievers in a discipleship group because then when they get saved, they're already in the best context to continue growing. You know, they've already got that relational base. They trust you as the leader. And uh, what a great, what a great uh, strategy. And, and nothing like an unbeliever in a group. Man, it keeps it fresh for the believers because they'll hear questions. It'll make them go, wow, that's a good question. I never thought of that. It'll remind them of things they've taken for granted when that person gets saved and they're just in love with Jesus and so appreciative that their sins are forgiven and the backpack of guilt's been taken off. It's just what a great reminder for us believers who take those simple things for granted. How do I disciple others if I have not personally been discipled? You will be discipled as you disciple others. Again, don't wait until you have been discipled as if you've got to, you know, wait three years and then now I'm qualified. I mean, it's ideal if you've been discipled and then, okay, now I'm just going to take what that guy did with me and do it with others. But you're going to get discipled as you disciple others. Uh, So don't wait for that. Dive right in. Um, at what point do you stop discipling someone after you've been discipling them and then commission them off to do? Yeah, that's a that. good question because you know, again, we got to be sure we don't overly feel like we got to do exactly the way Jesus did. Jesus didn't have a job. Jesus was able to live with these guys for three years. Again, I'm not getting us off the hook that, to lower the bar too much, but at the same time, you know, it's it's a different context that we're in. And so we're not gonna be able to maybe literally live with people for those for three years like Jesus did. But we take his principles and we try to follow them. Where it's more than just a group. You're trying to develop a relationship and pour into people. When does it end? Man, I just say be spirit led on that. I don't think there's any magical thing. You know, I've chosen to do a calendar year kind of approach. Just that's just the way I'm doing it. Not saying it's the best. Uh, do I trash those guys after that year of my life? No. We still have relationship. We still have connection. But it's very clear that th- th- this is going to be a calendar year. We're going to do this. And then they kind of know what's expected. So I-, I think it's good in our context, and our culture today, to give it a time period. To just say, hey, we're going to meet together for, for three months, ten weeks, six months, whatever you can decide. And then we'll reevaluate. Just say that. That way they don't feel like they're signing on for life. But maybe it's just, hey, we're gonna meet for 10 weeks and and we're gonna help each other grow in Christ. And would you be interested? Pray about being in this group I'm forming. And then after those ten weeks, we'll reevaluate, decide where it goes. Because here's what I'd love to see happen. After those ten weeks, one of those in your group, let's say you got three guys, one of those, clearly a leader, just you know he's that qualified to teach others also, 2 Timothy 2, 2, which we'll look at next week. And you say, hey, why don't you take, why don't you go with him? And y'all start a new group. I'll stay with this guy, and we'll invite some others. Man, then you're seeing this multiplication thing happen. This is what we're wanting for many of our home groups, our home connect groups, is that they'll meet together for a season, but then a leader will emerge, and this person will take maybe five or six of the people from this group. Yes, it's always hard to leave, but hey, this is multiplication. We're obeying Jesus. And then they form a new group, and more people come into that. And these home groups, this is what we want in our connect group strategy. They begin to multiply. Honestly, I have so many questions about this. I don't know where to begin first. but Why, you have my email. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, I think one question that's pretty important is, how on earth do busy people make disciples? How on earth do what? Busy people make disciples. By making it a priority. It's all about priority. And that's a great question because we're all busy. We all have reasons why we can't do this. But it's simply a matter of priority. And I think everybody has an hour a week of discretionary time. If you disagree with that, then I'm going to ask you, what did you do yesterday? What did you do yesterday from noon to 3.30? And then from 3.30 to about 7.30, because that other game went so long, four overtimes. So you say, I don't have any discretionary time, but you were able to do that yesterday. So you have the time. It's just a matter of making it a priority. And an hour, this really, this can just be, I mean, hopefully more, but an hour a week. You meet with a group of three people for one hour a week, and you'll be amazed how much it'll help you grow and help them grow. Okay. Good morning, Pastor. Uh, I want to thank you for dunking me this morning, and I want to thank you for welcoming me into this family. Um, I noticed the second point was abide and grow, but I noticed that you didn't go to John 15. I was looking for you to go there i'm anticipating you going there because we can't the the branches can't grow without the the root of the tree we can't apart from god i can do nothing Mm. you know i got to get planted i got to get rooted in the word but apart from him if i don't spend that time alone like you were talking about in in the passage and that's a great point because that would be the best chapter to define what jesus meant by abiding in him so he had had this he had had this relationship by that time, probably two years, by the time John 15 happened. And how cool that in, the, in that relationship. Now he says, this is what I'm calling you to do. Which I think was the begin. That's when the John begins to change toward his death and resurrection. Because John 16 is all about the Holy Spirit. And so he's kind of saying, hey guys, when I leave, you've been abiding with me. Because we've been physically together. But that's going to change. Physically, but not spiritually. Physically, it's going to change. But spiritually, you keep abiding. Okay. You stay in me. Over here. Uh, would you recommend that these groups be same sex? And also, oh, thank could you. you. Could you touch on right now media? Absolutely, same sex, unless it's a home group and you're leading it with a female, if it's a, if it's a guy. Okay, so couples, like we have couples that are leading home groups, like the Hayes lead a home group. And that one is certainly men and women because they're both leading. But no, a guy should never have a woman in his discipleship group and vice versa. And then yes, right now media is a tremendous resource. You guys, we pay a monthly fee. It's available to all of you for free. So you go to our website under Resources, click Right Now Media. It'll ask for your name and email address. It's not you're not having to pay anything. You're just getting a an account within our umbrella, and the resources there are incredible. And what I love about it is some of them are just these little short, twelve minute videos in a series, so you could play that. Literally, you can download the app to your phone. You can do it in in a coffee shop. Watch the little teaching and then discuss it. So that's another great resource for you. By the way, parents, some of their children's stuff is some of the best stuff out there. Get on Right Now Media and look at the children's stuff. Your kids will love it. Two more. Two more questions. Worship team, why don't you go ahead and come out. take two more questions here and there nikki and then over here yeah i was just thinking about the answer to her question and you know i'm still very much a baby christian maybe a toddler christian um but leading enneagram groups and groups around the boundaries book by cloud and townsend right both that are full of scripture but without feeling like i needed to know every bit of all of that and i think when i led those groups that allowed other people that were afraid they were going to be beat over the head to come for Enneagram or boundaries, but then grew in their knowledge of Scripture Mm. Mm. by accident and then on their own, Mm. right? Like wanting to dig more into any of that Scripture that connected with any of those parts. So the topic was of interest to them, and that kind of drew them in. I got a question. When you're trying to decipher to people— and you're in the neighborhood and look like they're falling on deaf ears, do you still go through the neighborhood and try to pray for them to try to bring them closer? Absolutely continue to pray. Absolutely continue to reach out. But as far as a group that you would have, if they're not receptive, shake the dust off your feet. That'd be the verse where Jesus said, if they're not receptive, move on to people who are. Because there are people who will be receptive. So in a sense, don't lose sleep over the people who aren't receptive but continue to pray that God will soften their heart continue to reach out in love and that's where a lot of times demonstrating the love of God by doing something tangible bringing them a meal you know doing something physical Uh, we call it show and tell the gospel don't just tell the gospel show the gospel Um, but as far as a group only go with those who really want to learn and want to grow all right Are you a disciple? Are you following Jesus? Have you repented and believed? Both of those. Because there are many in this country that will say they're Christians, but it might have been a false conversion because they never repented and they're not following Jesus. Today can be the day that you repent and follow Christ. Where are you in your progress? Where are you in your journey? Where are you in your growth? And are you willing to ask God to put one to two to three people on your heart that you could go to and begin to meet with this year so that you mutually grow together? Father, we thank you and we praise you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for what you're going to do this next year in our church through this. God, we're excited to see the multiplication, excited to see the growth in everybody as they disciple others, but just the thought of people being in groups that are, that are not even saved, that, that aren't even a part of our church, that doesn't matter. God, we want to be obedient. That's our bottom line. We want to obey you in fulfilling the great commission for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. Prayer team you would take your spots you need prayer for anything this morning you go to one of those on the protein